So today we're in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, please open with me. Very simple title to my message. Philippians 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. The title is, Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Our job as pastors is to continually encourage you to look to And trust Jesus for the needs of your life. We say it over and over again in some way or another. I grew up in church. I accepted the Lord as a child. And I just took for granted the things that I was told and I was taught that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for my sins, that if I believed in Him, my sins would be forgiven. And I would have everlasting life. I would have eternal life. And when I die, I would go to heaven. I believed that. And I still do believe that. When I was 27, I think it was, my wife and I bought our first house in Orange, California. About a mile or about a mile away from Angel Stadium. And that house cost us $94,000. I think it was the only house in Orange County that was under 100000 but that's all I could afford. There's no way I was buying a condo and paying HOA fees. That house had to be big enough, two bed, one bath, for my wife and I and our three little girls. Three little girls. And as amazing as that house was, and it worked for us, I didn't know that every Saturday morning a man would knock on my door who was a Jehovah's Witness. I didn't know I moved right into a targeted neighborhood. And I thought I was just going to shoot my Bible verses out of my Bible gun and he would just say, oh, you're right. And he had been a Jehovah's Witness for about 60 years. He knew all of the training material that they, you you know, if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, sincere people out to serve the Lord, and it's very easy to view them as the enemy. We're going to shoot them down. I... I really grew, I talked to that man every Saturday morning for a couple of months. And you know, he made me so mad. And I thought, I'm just going to tell him what I believe, quote John 3.16, and he's going to say, wow, you're right. How can I be a Christian like you? And I would say, I believe this, Jesus is the Son of God, he died for my sins, if I believe in him, I'm saved. He would go, he looked right back at me and said, yeah, I believe that too. Now, he didn't believe exactly as I believed, but they used the same terminology. And as Paul would write, that they were actually preaching another Jesus. Now, do you know all religions have a Jesus? In Islam, there is a Jesus. In Judaism, there is a version of Jesus. In Mormonism, or the LDS church, there is a Jesus. 
In Buddhism, there's a Jesus. They all have their story of what they think and who they think Jesus is. Now, here's the question. Which is the right Jesus? They're all a little different. A man, a prophet, a teacher, a good man. The Jesus of the Bible is the Son of God. Now, the question is, what does that mean? What does Son of God mean? And the ultimate question I'm asking you today is, why should you completely put your life in Jesus' hands? I mean not just believe in him, but yield your life to him as the Lord of your life. Why is this so important? Chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul is talking about finding joy in difficult circumstances. Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell, and he's actually expressing joy in his circumstances. Because he is a man who is yielded to the glory of the Lord. Whatever serves the Lord's purpose in his life, if that's what he could see happening, he would say, I have joy. And in his circumstance in the Roman prison cell, he says it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Furtherance is like clearing away the trees for a new road to a new advancement. And that's exactly what happened. He said everyone in the palace or many in the palace have believed in Jesus Christ. The guards, the servants in the palace. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. One of the great promises of this little letter to the Philippians. So the work that God has begun in you, I want you to know he will be faithful to complete it. You will question that in difficult circumstances, and you will learn in the most difficult of times of the faithfulness of the Lord. That whatever comes your way of difficulty or opposition it can't get in the way of the Lord fulfilling his purposes for your life. Did you know that? Being confident, confident, confident. Philippians 2 shifts from joy in difficult circumstances to having joy when dealing with difficult people. Joy in dealing... now. How many of you know that people can rob you of your joy? Don't make eye contact with anybody in the room at this time, all right? Just look at me, because you don't know me well enough. I haven't known you long enough to irritate you, but I am, I'm working on it. If we're around people, people irritate us. Let me just say it's okay to acknowledge that. And because people are difficult, the fact that we would love one another is a sign that we are genuinely child, children of God. That's what Jesus said in John 13. The world will know that you guys 
these guys who always argued about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom, the world's going to know that you really are my disciples when you start loving each other. Really? Do I have to? If you ever want to see a group of guys that didn't get along, it was the apostles. I'm just glad I wasn't there because I'm just so much better than all of them. And let me say that when dealing with churches and church life, every church goes through struggles. Your church is going through a struggle at this time. But you'd be surprised at how normal this is. I want you to know that this is a normal thing that happens to churches. It, other struggles would happen to me. You know, you be at a church long enough, and there's going to be some type of struggle, a challenge. It, it can come in all kinds of different forms. And the thing is, whenever the struggle happens, we get upset. And when we get upset, we tend to take hard positions and be at opposition with other people. And when offenses happen, the question is, how do we recover? How can a church recover from difficulty? And in fact, in 1993, I became the pastor of a little church, Calvary Chapel, Portland, whose pastor stood up on a Sunday morning and said, without anyone knowing, this is my last Sunday. You know, those people were hurt. And I, at 35 years old, became their pastor, and I thought, I'm just going to show them the love of God, and this church is never going to have a struggle ever again. And then, a short time later, I learned the reality of really pastoring a church. Wherever there's people, there's struggles. And in fact, that's why we need the Lord. And this is where you say, Amen. Because we all struggle and we struggle to fit together, that's why we need the Lord. Church is not about church. If church is about church, then we're going to argue. Church is about Jesus. This is the place where we come together to commonly seek the Lord together and minister to one another. In Philippians 1.27, Paul said to the church, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether, that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Philippi is struggling Struggling because of Roman occupation. Struggling because of internal challenges. We'll see in chapter 4. Struggling because of some, of some false teachers that always seem to infiltrate the churches where Paul had uh, planted churches. But the best way for us to strengthen and renew our church, this church, I say our church because right now I'm part of your church, is for us 
to have lives that are worthy of the gospel, conduct worthy of the gospel, and in that to be of one mind together. And that is the way that this church is going to be strengthened. Why Jesus? And as I was talking to that Jehovah's Witness man that was at my door every Saturday morning, I will tell you, I didn't have an answer. I could tell you that I believed in Jesus. I couldn't tell him why I believed in Jesus. Because he, would, he challenged me. In fact, he upset me. He ticked me off. Now, that man is the reason I became a Bible teacher. Because I had never studied. I I took those things he told me, and I went and found answers. And I had never studied so hard in my life. And it was what... The very thing the Lord used me, used to get me to dive into the word, to get answers, and I ended up telling all my friends, ended up teaching Bible studies, ended up teaching a class at Calvary Costa Mesa on how to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses. It was like the Lord tricked me into being a Bible teacher. I hate that. And here I am, all these years later, And I still, when I come to Philippians 2, a passage like this, I remember when I was 27 and was irritated by that man at my door. We had talked for weeks and weeks. One evening, he and his wife came into my house, sat at the kitchen table. He told me everything he believed, and it came to my mind. Nothing I was saying to him made any sense. I said, you've told me everything you believe. I have a question for you. How do you know that what you believe is true? He was completely silent. He didn't know how to test it. He knew what he believed. He didn't know how to discern whether it was true. His wife sat up and turned around and looked at me, looked back at him, You know what answer he gave me? Well, you just feel if it's right. Really? How many of you have believed a lie that you felt was true? I have an investment for you. Trust me. This feels good. We don't judge truth based on feelings. It's either true or it's not. And if I'm asking you to believe in Jesus, what you might ask is why? Why are we so confident that Jesus is worthy of completely yielding your life to? I want to give you just some of the reasons, and I think there's even more I can come up with, but for the sake of our time today, number one, because I want you to yield your life to him because... He's already blessed you. Because of what he's already done for you, your response now is to yield your life to him. The first four verses of Philippians 2, Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I love this passage, but if we're all honest, this is hard to do. Because when we're panicked, when we're injured, I'm going to put myself first. Four times here, Paul speaks of the mind referring to how we think of others. Be like minded of one accord, of one mind, in lowliness of mind. And how we think of others in the church will either bring joy to the church or more offense and more division. Now, of course, there are those cases where there are troublemakers, and we have to be cautious of those. Paul writes about that in the book of Romans. But our first thought of people around us is not to be suspicious, but to be of a mind that we can serve them. And Paul says, why should we, why should we become servants? First of all, here he says, because of what the Lord has done for you, because he's already blessed us. In those verses, the word if that he says could really be translated since. He's not saying if Christ has blessed you. He's saying since he has blessed you. Since you've already received encouragement from Christ. Since you've been comforted by the love of Christ. Since you have fellowship in the love of God. Since you have received affection, and mercy. And since you have received, now share what you've received. God's not pointing the finger at you and saying, now you better, you better. And in fact, really what he's asking us to do is not of us, but it's given to us. The very comfort and affection That people around us need, do you know that it's first given to you by the Lord? If you're hurting, if you've suffered, the Lord ministers to you. Amen? And then when you come to church, there are others around you who might have had a bad week. They're going, hey, what's going on at this church? Who is this Terry guy? And we can all be defensive, fall into this protection mode. But the very thing that brings renewal is a sense of serving and blessing others. Because people might come and go, well, I don't know, do I belong here? And you don't want to look at them and go, well, who are you? Because they're probably going to say, well, I don't belong here. Every one of you as well as myself, I want to be where people appreciate me. 
where people want me and go, it's so great to see you again. I'll give you a, a, a kind of a, a trade secret. I, as I coach pastors, it's very easy for pastors to look at the people as workers, not as people. Because we've got to build this church and we've got this new ministry and we need volunteers and we need workers. And, and people start to become workers rather than family members that we love and we value. Everybody wants to be part of a church where they are valued. And everybody wants to be in the middle of where, where God is working. And we're all here together. That's, that's where I want to be. And while you might be saying, well, God, what's happening here? You know, this is, this is just an amazing passage to remember our part, your part. As people come in, just say, hey, great to see you. It's so good to see you again this week. I love how God first blesses me, and then he says, Terry, now I want you to share that with others. And that's just the easy way for us all to be uh, working together. Why Jesus? Second is because he's given his life for us. He's given his life for us. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, in the rest of chapter 2, Paul is going to give us examples of what he wants us to be like. He's asking us to become people who will bless and serve others, to esteem others better than ourselves. Well, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus. And then Paul will talk about his own life. He'll also talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus, who was one of the elders of the church. The mind of Christ means the attitude of Christ. And ultimately, if I say that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means that I have become like my teacher. A disciple looks like his teacher. Your attitude, while you're still working on it, is to be like Jesus. It's not to merely be in the, the imitation of somebody you respect or, or just in the kind of the, the, the culture of the church that you grew up into. But ultimately, I want to be like Jesus. In struggle, the church can often become full of competition, criticism, comparison. And having grown up in Southern California, you know, the, the whole celebrity culture of Hollywood really pervades the churches of Southern California. 
And in fact, if you're going to have a big, exciting ministry, it almost takes on this celebrity status. You can't be a nobody and have a successful ministry in Southern California because that culture just kind of infects everything. I want to know that I'm doing well in ministry, and it's so hard to get my ego out of the way. But I want to be like Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, I see his humility. He became a servant. Paul says that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's strange language, but what it means is that let's consider who Jesus is. He's God. But in becoming our servant, he didn't hold on to his position. He wasn't robbery. He wasn't grasping on to something, trying to promote himself to being something he wasn't. And in fact, he let go of his position and became like us. He took the form of a man. The form means the outward expression of his inward nature. Why believe in Jesus? Why Jesus? Number three, because of who he is, because he is God. Because of who he is, he is the very son of God. And here's some of the scriptures I'll share with you that that I really discovered more of when I was talking with that man who was a Jehovah's Witness. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Now, when I would say to him, Jesus is the Son of God, he would say, yeah, I agree with that. I believe that too. What I learned was when they say Son of God, they meant created by God. Do you know the cults use our words with different meanings? So when he said Jesus is the Son of God, he meant created by God. When you and I say Son of God, what the Bible means is having the nature of God. Now you might say, well, aren't we sons of God? Aren't we part of the family of God? Yes, but we are sons by adoption, not sons by nature. Jesus can help you because of who he is, because he is by nature God. John 1, verses 1 through 3, you can write down some of these verses. John wrote that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. Do you know what the cults say? That Jesus was made. And even in the first century, those kinds of teachings were going around by the Gnostics. Now, if there was nothing made that Jesus didn't make, then he couldn't have made himself. See how simple that is. Colossians 1:15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. All things were created that are in heaven 
and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, in my office at home, I have several copies of the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah's Witness translation of the New Testament. They've inserted a word into this scripture. It says that by him all other things were created. And that one word changes the meaning. They say, well, the Father created Jesus, and then Jesus created all other things. So automatically, the Jesus of other religions is a different Jesus from the Jesus of the Bible. And that Jesus, whatever, whatever it is around the world, he can't help you. He can't help you. That Jesus can't help you. This Jesus deserves the, the complete surrender of your life because of who he is. He is, by nature, the very Son of God. And in fact, this is Old Testament as well. Micah 5.2, if you like this kind of stuff, write down that verse. Micah 5.2, it talks about the coming birth of the Savior who will be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, that's Jesus, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That last line is a Hebrew way of saying that he never had a beginning. Whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. In that way of writing, it's looking back and seeing no beginning. Have you ever heard the phrase, from everlasting to everlasting? That means no beginning, no end. And here, Micah the prophet says that the Savior who is coming, his goings forth are from everlasting. He didn't have a beginning. He was never created. Jesus, considering who he was, humbled himself to serve you. This is what I want you to know today. Why should I yield my life to him? I want you to just... It, it's so big, it's hard to fully grasp, honestly. He stepped down from heaven to become like us. That was no compliment. He humbled himself to be one of us. To identify with your struggles. To feel what it feels like to be lonely. To know exactly what it's like to be rejected. And when he was accused of sin, he was being accused and tried for your sin. Not just for sin, but for your sin, for my sin. He literally did this for me. 
so that I could be delivered from the punishment that was due me. A couple of months ago, I was on my way home from, this just popped into my mind, it just reminded me. I was on my way home from Sheridan. I had preached in Calvary Chapel in Sheridan that Sunday morning, and I was coming through Newburgh, and, and there was a car out in my lane, and I accelerated a little bit to get through the intersection, and you know what happened? It was a flash of light. And I got this notice in the mail. And you know, with this notice of the speeding through, there's a picture. It's a great picture. There's no way I can say that's not me. <laughs> when there's a violation of the law, there's a penalty. Even though I'm sure it's unjust. I swear it's, it's, an, it's an unfair treatment. It's automatic if there's a violation of the law, there is a penalty set. There's only a few ways to deal with it. You can't just walk away and say, I'm not dealing with that. You pay the fine. Or somebody else pays the fine for you. If I go and stand in front of the judge and say, hey, that was me, but I don't think I should have to pay the penalty because I promise I will never do it again. And in fact, since then, I have never sped since that. I, I promise, not true. I probably sped on the way here. It's interesting the, the, the games that our minds play when we know we're guilty. We excuse ourselves. We just, yeah, I am guilty, but I was justified in doing it. And we all know. Uh, uh, of the few famous sayings people like to say, one is, well, no one's perfect. That's like one of my favorite things that people say. Well, great, you've just admitted that you need to be saved. But people say it like because everyone is imperfect, no one needs to be saved. No, it really means that everyone needs to be saved. For God so loved the, what, world... The whole world, we're all in this together. And the thing is, it's so normal that we are imperfect, we start to think it's normal, don't we? It's not normal. What you and I experience of sin, of suffering, of emptiness, of a search for purpose, a search for meaning is not normal. Now, it has become normal, but that is not what God intended. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
when he created man, what did he say to Adam? Exercise dominion over the earth. Why did God create man? That's a great question. It was to have relationship with God. Why do you have kids? To yell at them? It's because you want to have a relationship with them. It's to enjoy them. For God so loved the world. That's why he created us. And yet, in that love, God offered a choice. Because, you know, real love has a choice. And that was the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. When God allowed Satan to tempt Adam and Eve, it was to offer a choice. Now, I know what people say. If God knows everything and God knew that's what, that man was going to sin, why did God allow it? As if, ah, they figured out the, the one thing to, we can't trust God because God knew what man was going to do ahead of time and he let him do it anyway. And if that person's old enough who throws that in my face and I hear it a lot, I'll say, look, do you have kids? Yeah. Three kids, blah, 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 two girls and a boy, and tell me all about them. Now, I said, before you had those kids, did you know that they were going to disobey you? Yeah. I said, well, why did you have kids? You had kids anyway. You had foreknowledge. You knew ahead of time exactly what was going to happen, and why did you do it? Because you knew that you would love them and attempt to teach them and restore them. So didn't God do the same thing? God knew that man would sin and reject him. And yet God already had the plan for restoration in place. Jesus slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible says. Just the fourth and the last reason why you should yield your life to Jesus is because, number four, he has the authority to rule in every way that you need him to rule. To rule over other authorities, to rule over problems, to rule over circumstances. And when you're in trouble, you need someone who has authority. Amen? You need someone who can get the job done. In verse 9 forward, Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know what happened when man sinned? First of all, God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the creation. And when they sinned, that authority to rule over the earth defaulted to Satan. Now, that's a strange idea, I know. But you know that Paul called Satan the God of this world. And Jesus said that Satan was the ruler of this world. Did you know that? 
You remember when Satan tempted Jesus. And in one of those temptations, Satan showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And he said, these are mine. And I can give them to whomever I choose. Do you remember what Jesus responded? Well, here he didn't correct Satan and say, you're wrong. Because Satan was right. These are mine, and I can give them to whomever I choose. But it was through the cross that his authority over the world was broken. The reason the cross is so important is because that was the, the military defeat of Satan. It was also the breaking of any legal penalty against you. As I said, whenever you break the law, you pay the fine or someone else pays it for you. The Bible says that the the wages of sin is what? It is death. Now, there's physical death. But then there's spiritual death, which is really separation from God. We all die physically. But the way that we're spared from eternal spiritual death is by having someone else pay the fine for us. And so why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because he has paid your traffic ticket for you. He has literally defeated any other authority that would attempt to rule over your life. Now, we're just here. We're in this world. We think this American mindset, well, I'm in charge of myself. I'm the master of my own fate. I love it when people say stuff like that. You're living in a world, fallen under sin. Now, Satan is still at work in the world. But anything he tries to do is out of his authority. He has no more authority. Now, he's at work in the world among those who don't know the Lord. But as soon as you say, yes, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you will give me eternal life. And you say, Lord, save me. Do you know that everything that was done on the cross is applied to you? You are brought under his name So when the Bible says that he has been given a name which is above every other name, it means that the Father has given Jesus, name means authority. Name means authority. Not just the name Jesus, but it means he has a name which has the authority to rule. So that every other tongue has to confess He is the Lord. And in this life, we're choosing whether to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, 
or to reject Jesus as the Lord of our life. And the choice is completely yours. Now, it's easy to be a Christian and not have Jesus the Lord of our life, isn't it? What I'm asking you to do is to to consider that. Today, are you saved? Or you would say, yes, I've asked Jesus into my heart. And you're born again. You're a child of God. You're adopted into the family. Great. Now I'm asking you to consider the next part. Are you living, acting like a child of God? As Paul said, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. What does that look like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like you are also not promoting yourself. You're not defending yourself. You're you're not going around criticizing and competing with people. You're looking at others who might be hurting and you're blessing them. It might cost you something. There might be sacrifice, but that's like Jesus. How many of you love to walk into church and someone just smiles at you and says, it is so great to see you? Anybody? A few people? When a church is full of those people who are saying, hey, it's amazing to see you today. It's so great to see you. I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. We're just doing the simple work that brings life back to a church. That's the kind of church that people want to be a part of. It's not fake. It's not programmed. It's not put on. You know, so much in our society of building a ministry is about brand building. That just makes me sick. You've got to build your brand in order to build your ministry. I really have no interest in building my brand. But I love telling people what the Lord is doing here in Albany. And if that can be my testimony, you know, people, I'll, I'll see people around the country, hey, how's it going in Albany? I'll be, I was, I'll be down in Southern California. Hey, how's it going in Albany? I'll get on FaceTime with a pastor in Georgia. Hey, how's it going in Albany? Do you know that? Because others, other churches and other pastors are invested in your church. If it's your turn to go through a struggle, fine. You will come through this better for it. And other churches will have their turn. And when that happens, you encourage them. This is not a competition, hey, we're doing great, too bad about you. We are all part of the family of God. If you want to see joy in a church, be like Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And, you know, just as we close, uh, I'm just going to ask you, what has the Lord spoken to you today? 
Are you a person that's kind of passive about your Christianity? Are you injured? Are you hurt? Whether here or other churches, we've all had, I'm just telling trade secrets, we've all had bad church experiences. Don't say amen. I've had bad church experiences. The option is not to not come back. But the option is to be refined by it. To just let the Lord make it about what's really important. And as we close today, I just want to ask you, whatever injury or offense or maybe a discouragement or a disappointment, let's just ask the Lord to wash it away and, you know, maybe even pray for others that are not here.